love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. Don't you just love a good love story? Love is like that. It's the light that is part of your life. It's unconditional. There's something there for all of us. There's hope that we can get through this and find some joy in our lives. He's always been the one. Self-love is a love story too. Those little sparks of joy are really important. Imagine someone making your biggest dream come true. It's important for people to understand that you're not alone. We love to be part of a Canadian love story. The love story never ends. Well, love is the most important thing. For me, the bottom line, if I feel like I'm kind of losing, like you say, you go down different lanes, but for me, it always comes down to when a girl closes her eyes to imagine a pioneer or an inventor or a scientist, I want her to see a female face. That's it. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. Today's love story belongs to Joe Napier. They say a picture paints a thousand words. Well, Joe's paintings tell the complex stories of great women of history. Her purpose-driven pursuit is creating portraits of female innovators whose place in history has not been adequately celebrated. And Joe is creating a movement. Her art graces the walls of Canadian corporate spaces, inspiring the next generation of female leaders. She is framing the past to influence the future. And that is love in action. This is the Canadian Love Map. Joanne Napier, it's so good to have you here at the Canadian Love Map. I think what you're doing in the world gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, women supporting women. Nice. Because it's across generations. Yeah. You know, when we think about that phrase today, it's about um, present day support. But you are digging up <laughs> the bones of the past, so to speak. <laughs> You're digging up the stories of women across history and and sharing them, amplifying them in such an important way. Well, it's funny because I figured living women can market themselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that. I'm serious. Oh, my gosh. Because a lot of times I get asked, like, will you, you know, paint the CEO of such and such? Well, yes, I could. Yeah. But what about a, the woman who inspired you? You know, what about your grandmother who told you you could do things, right? Mm. How what, did this start? It started with my daughter. Um, I always think of, you know, kind of markers in your life. So my big marker was before and after motherhood. So before I was a journalist, you know, I loved living out of a hotel room. So I like to think it's the reason I'm not a good cook. I'm I know how to make a really good dinner reservation. <laughs> and um, I just love that life. And I ended up working sort of on Parliament Hill and down in Ca Capitol Hill a little bit. And as a tech reporter traveling around a lot during the dot-com days. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, you're a mom, you're home. The last contact I did before 
Julia, my daughter, our daughter, showed up on the scene was to go around Province House and identify the portraits that were there and capture the stories for this big government project. And I thought, uh, there's not a single woman here. Mm. Okay. There was one royal royalty. And previous to that, as a tech reporter, I was in the middle of the dot-com days interviewing, like, the guy who came up with Netscape, the guy who invented the internet, the guy who came up with TCIP protocol, like these seminal thinkers and pioneers. Guy, guy, guy. Guy, guy, guy. Brilliant guy, wonderful guy, often into cats and music if they were not married, which I thought was interesting, (laughs) And, and really wonderful people. So down the road when I became a tech columnist for the Ottawa Citizen, I thought this is my opportunity to start to find the women. And so the first woman that I tracked down of my own decision was a woman named Anita Borg, who has since passed on, which makes her a portrait candidate, unfortunately. Uh She worked at Sun Microsystems down in California, and she set up basically a woman's institute to try to help have women's lens be part of the formula for the design of technology. Wow. I think she said to me, if women design cars, it'd be a place for a purse. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> she could boil it was yeah. that Albert Einstein line. If you can't see it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And yeah. I thought she really understands what she's doing, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's now, if you check online, Anita Borg, so it's Anita including the B and then dot org, mm-hmm. it's now this huge community of international women there, huge conferences. But it was started by one woman, one dissatisfied, super smart positive thinking woman who skydived and she was a pilot and she, you know, she's just this fabulous person. So when you were having this realization, doing this work, were you also thinking back to the history that you had learned in school? No, I was laying in bed with my daughter and we, we were reading about Curious George and Caillou and all of a sudden I thought, oh my God, this is a teaching moment, mm. Right. I could shape this little girl's mind (laughs) for good or for bad. So let me tell her about some great women of Nova Scotia. And I had been in the Herald newsroom for 10 years, and I couldn't think of one. Well, no, I thought of Anna Green Gables. Well, she's not real. She's not not even Nova Scotian. (laughs) Don't tell people in Japan she's not real. (laughs) They come to PEI to (laughs) to be tourists. Exactly. They love her. But I did what you did back then, which was went to Norma in the reference room of the old library. thought, I'm going to ask Norma, who had helped me with my the book cover. I did a book called Technology with Curves, Women Reshaping the Digital Landscape. And uh, I thought, I'm going to get Norma to help me again. So I went to the library. She wasn't there. So I left a little note that said, hi, Norma, Joan Apier, can you please uh, give a little thought to some great women of Nova Scotia, thinking of a project and uh, thinking of my daughter. Norma wasn't there. And it turns out if you leave a note like that in the reference room of the Halifax Library, every female librarian, it's like catnip. They all had, so I got this list of like 25 names from Norma saying. Oh, I can just feel the excitement, the buzz (laughs) buzz, that they all would have felt like, yes, this is something we want to invest our time in. And I literally, like I could tell you sort of a whole bunch of stories, but the, the bottom line is that All along the way, I realized women are hungry for their history. Mm. Hungry. No wonder. We've been starved. Yeah, but but not consciously, right? Right. So 
you look at the world, whether you're in Ida Borg and you see a car or a piece of technology not designed, not designed through your lens of experience, which is very different male and female, right? It's funny, you know, when you're, when, have you ever had the experience where you are hungry, but you're not really realizing how hungry you are until you get a bite of something and then you realize you're starving. Yeah. That's, that's what you're that's, talking about. It is. It was for me yeah. as well, because I've done my work now through thick and thin. Like, you know, when people are investing heavily in me and when I'm in that period where it's all about the research and it's not a solid revenue stream or it's not a solid feedback stream, or, you know what I mean? It's just like, are you going to do it because you love it? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm always in. Yeah. I'll spend the rest of my life researching these great women and telling the stories as best I can. It's my way of being of service. Well, and that's exactly why I wanted to have you on the Canadian Love Map, because it's so clearly a passion project. This is based in love. Oh, it's love. And I love that service element of it. So I want to go back before we talk about some of the stories, which I'm dying to do, because Joe is such a good storyteller as well as an artist. But where did your relationship with painting start as a child? How old were you? Well, you were a part of it, interestingly enough. So I wrote a little note on my fridge when I was home with my daughter. I was so used to being out, you know, on the road traveling and so on. And all of a sudden, I didn't have my identity. I didn't even have my physical freedom. You know, you can't go very far. I had this little note that just said two words, holy drudgery. Because motherhood felt holy. Yes. But it was also drudgery. <gasps> Oh, that's that's wild. And just somehow putting it up there, I thought, there, then it's out of me. Yes. It's there, it's acknowledging it, and let's get on with it. So I wanted to tell Julie stories about great women. I started to research them. I spent two years researching them and then painting them. And the painting just started because when I finished that book for HarperCollins, I came home from Toronto to edit the manuscript, and my mom saw how intense that was. And she said, you've got to have something planned to jump into right after this. You don't want to just like not have anything. Come with me to this painting workshop. And it was these old dolls. And you know, old ladies, they know what they're about. It's like psychologically, they've got the Doc Martens on, right? They land every jump on the dance floor. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Was your mom just learning to paint then? Yes. Oh, really? We both took a course from um, uh, Jeannie Hancock, who was taught by one of the group of seven. Oh, well, that's a good yeah. CV. I think it was Lismer, <laughs> Arthur Lismer, not wow. bad. Anyway, she was fantastic. And when I had my first show, I called her up. She lives, I think, in Wolfville now. Hi, Jeannie, if you're out there. And uh, just to say thank you, I'm having my first show. And you, and I still, to this day, if I drive by the site of that first workshop, I get a tingle. Really? It's that, like, runs from my head down to my toes. I, it was just electrifying for me to sort of squeeze out and so on. And so I started painting. But it was a step on a path that you were meant to be on. And I so think it felt, so. It feels now, you look back, and it's very momentous. And know? it was the first time I trusted what I felt instead of what I thought. Yes. And let me ask you this. You were making a major break from the Joe that everybody knew in terms of, you know, that self-definition that comes with our work. Mm. And were you afraid or intimidated by how people would judge that? Because we as human beings like people to be in boxes and they like, we like them to stay in their lanes. That's human nature. Well, that's where you helped. So somebody told me. (laughs) I did not know this. (laughs) Somebody told me I, I had yet to show any paintings. Like it's a bit of a leap to put them out in the world. And somebody said, oh, you know, did you hear that Nancy took a course and she has her lovely sort of abstract painting over the fireplace? And I thought, 
yeah. If Nancy can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and the next, and then I took my mom. I literally had that was like a, a really helpful insight or whatever you want to however you want to define it. Isn't that I'm sure funny? Told, we're doing a high five. Yeah, right we're now. doing a high five. And then I went to an art show and I took my mom. And when we came out of it, it was at the archives. And this is before artists really used the archives a lot, before Stephen Harper cut back funding on the mm-hmm. museum space in archives, and it became an art space you could rent. Um, and as we walked out of this show, uh, my mom said, it's time for you to do a show and make it about something. <gasps> oh, okay. Truth bumps. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm like a little electric caterpillar <laughs> right now. And Ooh. I thought, well... You know, so you sit with that as one does. And I don't think I rushed off and sat with it, but it just became quickly apparent that these women that I wanted to tell Julie about, I wished as I got to know them research wise, I really wished I could sit with them at a dinner party. I wished Annie Jump Cannon sat next to me and I got a chance to talk to her. I wished Elsie McGill was on my left. Like my whole life growing up wonderfully has been about men. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked in a newsroom where the male jobs the guys had the great jobs, so the competitive side of me, which I didn't even know I had, directed me. And you know, it wasn't until I was in a scrum on Parliament Hill that I realized, what the heck am I doing here? Like this, I'm not really interested in this. Oh, oh, that's intriguing. So you were just following the. Yes, like you were on a train. I feel like that about my early career. Yeah. it's like I was on a train that was moving too fast for me to get off, and I, and I was how look- I ended up. And I was looking for the hurdles to jump. Yes. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to the Tina Fey thing, which is like, you know, you run into a hurdle, find your way around it. Don't engage with the hurdle. Yes. You know? And so the motherhood is my chance to stop and figure out what do I really want to do, you know, through a fem- through my lens, which happens to be a female lens. Okay. Mother- Mother's Day is coming up and you're talking about motherhood and you went to that first um, painting course with your mom. Right. Let's talk about who your mom was okay, and the role she played in your life. So my parents, ha- you know, were a great team. We all, my brothers and I always say that. And they both painted, but my mom was busy. I once said to my mom, why didn't you protest in the 60s? And she said, I was busy in the 60s, yeah. <laughs> as she said over the kitchen sink as she's making meals for everybody. Um, four young kids. Four young kids mm-hmm. and, and eventually boys who were hungry. When my dad graduated from medical school, he, to pay off his medical bills and to learn how to be a doctor from birth to grave, took us all to an Oakport in Newfoundland. And that's where he was a doc with a very old time doc. So he was the new doc and the old doc. It's like a TV Sounds show. Sounds like right? a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his way to relax at the end of the day was, you know, the doctor is given a house in the little Oakport town. So when the house that we lived in had one kind of long wall, sort of a rectangle shape, the living room, and he would paint almost life-size figures. So I watched as a girl, you know, you know, a Muslim man in his robe, you know, robes, a, a, you know, African woman in her headgear, like, you know, a nose and then an elbow and then a foot and then a hand and then eyes, like, all these people ended up in my living room. And I saw my dad create this. You know, I didn't consciously think about this until fairly recently, but I'm not, I'm afraid of many things, you know? We all have our fears, but I'm not the least bit afraid of painting. And You're not afraid of a blank canvas? Oh my God. Now it's like a hug. Oh, I want to jump right in. And it's, I think it's because as a child, it's like if you grew up with uh, Jean-Claude Keeley or Nancy 
whatever her name was, the Can- great Canadian skier. Green. Nancy Green, as your, as your mom or your sister, guess what? Yeah. Ski, you, you can ski. You see the path there. You yeah. see it. And so that's actually what I'm doing work-wise. It's like, you know, we're at this point in time, it's becoming more and more a serious discussion, but we can't afford just to have men at the table designing the solutions to our world. And a lot of those solutions come from science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM. And, you know, it's very, we've got all the data now that shows that diversity in STEM, you know, brings productivity, increases profit, increases innovation, as well as sense of inclusion. So how do you get more women in STEM? Well, I've been reading about this, reading, reading, partly because when Julie was little, I was telling her about the great women of Nova Scotia. That whole portrait collection ended up being bought by the Royal Bank. So there's like a very affirming mm-hmm. thing to happen. So I continued on that path as a leap of faith, you know what I mean? And credit to the Royal Bank. And credit to the Royal well. Bank. Thank you, David Agnew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's of amazing. RB, head of RBC Wealth Management who saw the paintings and loved them. Yeah. And Stuart, who's in the office here, and uh, Tracy. So then Julia is getting older, and she wants to clean out the closet under the stairs and turn it into a science lab. So I'm thinking, okay. Brilliant. I'm going to you know, put up little pictures of the great women of engineering, because I, I kind of thought that was might be her interest. Again, no great stories bubbled up. Didn't know the faces. Mm-hmm. There's the opportunity, right? So I started researching them, and, and Nancy, all of a sudden, I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Women did all this? Mm-hmm. Oh, my Lord. You know? Uh, I was invited at one point to go to the Mount and to bring some of my paintings there, the UN and and some women's organizations who were having this big meeting of women of science. So I brought these paintings and I also brought my smart girl bookmarks. I take each of my paintings and put them on a bookmark so that you can slip a little women's history into any book. Oh, that's good. (laughs) I happened to talk to the women about these women of science. None of the women of science knew of the women, historic women of science. I thought, that's amazing. So, so my thinking is, young boys and girls, if girls knew the powerful paths that women have historically paved in fields like engineering, mathematics, that's then you see, this is women's work. Right. It always has been. I love that. You know, I just saw a post the other day by Lucy McNeil of the fabulous Barra McNeils in Cape Breton, and she was just writing a tribute to Rita McNeil, who was no relation, but uh, she said, you know, seeing Rita, who was a, a Canadian icon, really, mm. at, at, as her career developed, she said, seeing her making a living doing music mm. made me realize that, I can do yes, it. That's, that's a possibility. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about shining a light on a path to say, look, there's a path here, and it is a huge and viable path. And a hard-won path. Yes. So when I feel like, oh, maybe this isn't going to work out, I think get it together. Mm. Look at the obstacles these women went right. to contribute to the world. Like, get over yourself. Suck yes, it it's hard. <laughs> you know, but you're not shooting something on location in yeah. Brazil or something. You're just, you're painting, you know, and, and, and finding the people who match with the paintings, right? I'm not a salesperson, so that's always the hard part for me is kind of finding that distribution piece and, and owning it, you know? Mm-hmm. And most recently, it occurred to me, this is not about sales. This is about courage and perseverance. Yes, and it's about contribution. And so contribution. really, it's what you're giving a client who invests in it, yeah, rather than you know what you're getting. It's, oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's 
it's wonderful when it lands. So I'll give you an example. So this year I decided to uh, embark on something called the Great Women Portrait Project. So I was trying to think about the faces and stories of these women and putting them out there. It's nice to have shows. It's nice to have clients purchase them. But wouldn't it be great if, you know, a woman's portrait hung in an office? How do you also get the girls to know that that woman's portrait is in the office and so on? So I was on this virtual trade mission to Atlanta, which is so funny because you're sitting in your kitchen. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> Zooming with these, you know, like the head of the Gina Davis Institute and like all these fascinating women. And um, I'm telling them about what I'm doing and they're interested and so on. And two of them, one in Denver and one in Atlanta, helped me in a Zoom session kind of clarify what I wanted to do. I said, I want C-suite women and female business leaders to, you know, invest in portraits of great women to put them in some sort of professional space so that they become, as it happened at RBC, a conversation piece for people. It becomes an educational piece, and it also becomes a unifying piece. Like, when we learn something at the same time, we're already connected more deeply than that business conversation is going to enable. Yes, you, right? it's a so personal connection. It's a personal connection, and it's kind of a win-win all around. But I said to the women on the trade mission, I said, you know, I also want to have girls and, and boys, so it's not just a silo Thing in terms of young people being educated, like if girls know these stories, they'll have a sense of ownership. If boys know them, they'll have a sense of respect mm -hmm. for women's contributions and the potential of girls and women's contributions. And the head of this big organization, Terry Hogan, said to me, you've got to come up with this educational piece in a way that the executives don't have to do anything. And I thought, yeah, you're right. And so I thought about it for a day and I went back to her and I said, every woman who buys a portrait names youth organization and then I create a virtual portrait for that youth organization because it's easy to do that now so you know I know how to do iMovies little I'm so I do one two minute iMovies about like Alice Augusta Ball who came up with the first treatment for leprosy and you know give that to Hope Blooms that kind of thing mm -hmm. you know MDW Law just purchased a portrait of Frances Fish who's the first female law grad from Dalhousie Law School Ah. And uh, so as part of that deal, their youth organization is Hope Bloom. So I'll be giving them an iMovie about uh, great women. Oh, that's beautiful. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centers are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCenters.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. So who are some of these great women who surround you? Right. <laughs> when you're working, I'm sure they come into your studio. Yeah. Tell me some of your favorite stories. Well, one of them we had mentioned uh, at one point was uh, Annie Jump Cannon. She was kind of, I think she was one of the first three by 40 portraits, which is fairly large. And she is the woman who, the person who classified the first 400,000 stars. So she came up with the mnemonic code, let's call it, for uh, identifying the light that's emitted from stars. And she had very much a female sort of slogan for remembering that, which was, Oh, be a fine girl, kiss me. So the, the code is O, B, A, and dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> but not many people know that that's what's, what's behind it. Oh, and my they, gosh. And they use it today. So there's all kinds of female colorings 
that yeah. are part of the story of science. And I'll give you a really good example of another insight I had into this recently was when I launched this Great Women Project, I thought, I need someone who's an iconic woman of STEM, a feminist, who also knows the power of collective action. And I thought, who is that? <laughs> mm. And I had a big boardroom meeting coming up of business, female business leaders to talk about the project and so on. And I thought, I would really like to have a woman like that be a part of this. So in January, I decided I'm going to put together a thank you package for these women. I'm going to think about the end of the event. And I put together, I bought a copy of Invisible Women, Get a copy of Invisible. This is her favorite book. It's my favorite book. Shows how the world is designed through a male lens. It's kind of shocking, but wonderful. And I got a a copy of that book. I got a copy of my Women of Science um, portrait show, you know, different things. And I wrapped them all up in a nice pink ribbon. And then I thought, I need something fun so that this is not all about, you know, art and information and so on. And my favorite pin, I wear a pin. I don't have it on right now, but it's it says Uppity Women Unite. <laughs> I love that pin. <laughs> so I thought, oh, where did I order that from? I'm going to go back online and order it. So I found the place down in the States and ordered it. They only had 50 left, so I ordered them. And I scrolled down and I, I thought, I wonder who makes this. Sometimes they have the designer and I'll send her a little note saying thank you. They didn't, but they had a picture of a woman blonde woman kind of looking kind of cool in the 60s wearing the pin. And I thought, oh, who's that? Francis Poppy Northcott wearing the pin. Who's Francis Poppy Northcott? I thought. Drilled down. And she was the only woman, the first woman in mission control for NASA during the Apollo launch launches, the various Apollo missions. Wow. So I reached out to her and said, I don't know. Is this a sign? You're wearing my favorite pin. And this is my project. If it speaks to you, will you help me? And she sent me her phone number, and we sent a time to talk. And um, she's very busy in a lot of space projects. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I thought, oh, dear. And she's been since, you know, she's a feminist. She's a lawyer. She's busy with a lot of things. So I, I spoke with her, and I said, would you shoot a 30-second video for me to bring into that meeting with the women? And she shot me this two-and-a-half-minute video. Powerful. It's fantastic. It's about role models. And she said in the video, basically, the Brazilian consulate reached out to me and said, this woman wants to get in touch with you. Maybe share your contact information. Rosalie Lopez. Poppy said, I don't know who this woman is. I don't know anybody in Brazil. So she researched her before she allowed that information to be shared. And she discovered that this woman is like the world expert in volcanoes on planets, different planets. And this woman got in touch with her when they spoke and said, I just wanted to say thank you. It's kind of feel emotional mm-hmm. sharing this. I just want to say thank you because when I was a little girl in Rio de Janeiro, I saw a picture of you in the newspaper in Mesh and Control. It changed her sense of what she could be, right? And Broke that ceiling. Yeah. And it's a psychological ceiling. And she just mm-hmm. all of a sudden saw that she could be, you know. So I thought, if I ever reach out to Rosalie, I should read one of her, one of her books out of respect. I always think research equals respect. And I love how you go down all these rabbit holes, <laughs> yeah, right? right? It's like an investigation. It's, it's like tr- being it's journalism. an investigative journalist. Yeah, journalism. it is. And it's respectful, right, to kind mm-hmm. of go down them. Um, and so I, I ordered one of her books on volcanoes. And I thought, oh, this is like I have to read. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a science person. And I stretched on the couch, put on a fire. I thought, no, you know, I'll start to read. Oh, my God, Nancy. 
Rosalie got all these other women to each write a chapter of this book about their particular, you know, work in volcanoes and plants. All these chapters were written by women. They were fascinating because they were written, right? Like it was so readable and engaging and interesting to me. And I thought, oh, right. I've spent my entire life learning science from textbooks written by God. Like it's the pennies continue to drop for right. me. You know what I mean? <laughs> pennies everywhere. <laughs> pennies from heaven. <laughs> so it was just strange, you know? Wow. How can, how can people help you? If people are hearing you and saying, oh, how can I, how can I help or how can I contribute an idea? Oh, yeah. Well, I have, so if you go to joanapier.com or the Great Women Portrait Project or This Is Women's Work, any of those URLs will take you to kind of the same domain. You will learn more about the project. And I've also created now an online gallery. So some of my clients think, you know, say they want to participate, but they don't know the great woman that they would like to have captured in portrait. So I've got the different categories, you know, architecture, engineering, dot, dot, dot. So you can look through them. And it's just that I'm now in touch with the woman who set up the New York Times section called Overlook No More. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Oh, really? So she was a young woman working at the Times and realized all these obituaries, like, why are we not you know, it's not just women, but there's all kinds of interesting people we're, we're not including. Mm -hmm. And so she's created this fantastic, she and another woman created this fantastic section called Overlook No More. So that's one of my resources for um, por potential portrait subject. You mm -hmm. know, I haven't dug into it too deeply yet, but it's, it's going to be a very rich resource for the project. One of my shows, the first one was called Female Chemistry, and the next one was called uh, Great Women of the Ocean, Earth, and Sky. The, the last one I held... I was really busy doing art therapy with some clients, so I didn't get a chance to sort of babysit it. I just hung it and kind of forgot about it. But I put a book out for comments. And I thought one day, I, I was driving by, and I thought, I'm just going to stick my nose in around noon and check. And when I went in, there were three women looking at the portraits. And two at the end were looking at portraits of uh, Cecilia Payne, who discovered what stars are made of. The next one was looking at a portrait of Inga Lerman, who discovered that the Earth's uh, inner core is solid and, and did it without any equipment. Like wow. she was just, she had a really hard time in university. Like it wasn't until 40, she kind of bloomed academically. And it turned out, you know, the technology that came afterwards proved her brilliance, like fascinating, oh, fascinating story. Anyway, this, the, um, there was a portrait closer to me of um, Elsie McGill. Do you know who I mean by no. Elsie McGill? So Elsie McGill was the first female aircraft designer. She was from Winnipeg. And she basically helped world, win World War II she, with her hurricane uh, oh. airplane, which was she was in charge of production of. Yeah. Yes. I've seen a little vignette somewhere now that you I think she it. might be on a stamp right. now, like Viola. Anyway, this woman had her back to me. She was looking at this portrait. And so I thought, oh, she's the closest. So I sort of tapped her on the shoulder. I said, what? I'm the artist, and I, I'm do, I'll do a quick focus group. You know, what do you think? She turned around, and she was crying. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, I never knew any of this. And she was a woman who would be like, I don't know, I'm guessing in her 50s. And I just thought, yeah, your life is different if you know these stories, you know. But what a way to give you... A sign. Uh, validation is not the right word. It, just a sign to say, you are on the right path, baby. <laughs> keep Look, on keep on going. You're doing the right thing. Yeah. Like Uppity Women Unite. Poppy yeah. wearing that pin. I'm like, okay, she's part of my tribe. You know? Yeah. Little sign. Yeah. Little sign. 
Okay, so I love this project so much. And I'm also aware that when I asked you about your mom, Mm -hmm. we ended up talking about your dad and his painting. And we didn't loop back because your dad, I know, died at a young age and your mom was left with with four kids. Right. So let's, uh, again, I'm ultra aware of the fact that Mother's Day is coming up and that this is women focused. So tell us about who she was. So she was, uh, as a girl, she grew up in Antigonish. And she decided to move at quite a young age, I think like 16 or 17. She worked at the radio station for a while in Antigonish. And uh, she came to Halifax and stayed with the Sisters of Service, uh, ended up meeting my dad. They moved to uh, Montreal together and lived on the same street as Oscar Peterson. They, I think, had some fantastic years in Montreal. And then they moved back to Halifax. And my dad was working at CBC at the time when my mom gave birth to my first brother, at which point my dad, having sort of experienced that birth, said to my mom, if I had my life to live differently, I would have been a doctor. And she said, go for it. So she spent her life like supporting my dad, supporting us. You know, she was just, I think she would have been, I had said to her in, you know, in another life or timeline, an economist. She was very smart in many uh, ways that she didn't get a chance to necessarily express. But um, she was incredibly generous of spirit and loving and and fun, you know. So she really empowered us with a sense of belief in ourselves. And uh, for me, you know, she really uh, validated the importance of me as a creative person. Like before the term... It's now a legitimate term to be a creative, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't so long ago that it wasn't. So to have a mother who was very encouraging of that was Mm. a pretty powerful thing. I love hearing you talk about her intellect, but I also think of her as being so heart-based as well, like such a big heart. Absolutely. And that's what I believe is really special about the work you're doing, that it really combines the intellect and the humanity of these women. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I don't paint them until I feel like I've come into relationship with them. Well, I painted Viola Desmond, that first collection of paintings. So before Rosa Parks sat in that famous bus, Viola Desmond got kicked out of a movie theater in New Glasgow, Nova Scotia, Mm -hmm. and spent the night in jail because she sat in the whites only section instead of going upstairs to to the black section. And her sister late in her life, Wanda took a course at university because she could take it for free as a senior. And the teacher was teaching about her sister without knowing that this was her sister. And Wanda was like, that's my sister. And Wanda ended up devoting her life. She and her husband, Joe, worked together to, number one, get Viola pardoned, officially pardoned. And then, then number two, actually recognized as being a civil rights leader. Mm -hmm. And so I started to paint her as part of this collection without knowing much about it, just learning about her. Never. This is before Wanda got on her journey or maybe simultaneous, you know. And um, I started this portrait and I thought, oh, gee, this isn't working. And my friend Alyssa got in touch with me and said, you know, her sister's coming to town to Chapters. So I grabbed this big portrait, threw it in the car and went to Chapters (laughs) and went up to Wanda and said, I'm painting your sister. Will you tell me what I'm doing wrong? I'm not getting her, you know? So she and I and Joe, her husband, with this portrait 
kind of sitting on the bed with this portrait propped against the wall. And I had painted Viola sort of sitting in the jail cell with the white gloves on, kind of just looking very dignified, you know. And uh, Wanda started telling me about her sister. And I started to sort of understand her as a person. And, and I started to realize that I was painting her as a victim. Oh. And she wasn't a victim. Whew. She was just the opposite. Yeah. And she was about to become an icon. Think I'm a Canadian icon now, right? She's sure. on a $10 bill thanks to her sister. Mm -hmm. So instead, as soon as I thought of her that differently, it's like our own lives, right? All you have to do is think of things slightly differently, and then it's there. It flips the switch. It's, yeah, it's already created in your mind. And then you just have to step towards that, you know? Like yeah. that's that's the kind of new age-ish teaching we're finally getting into. But it's it's also simple. So it brought a whole different energy to the painting. It brought a whole different... And I ended up, as soon as I thought of her in that lens, I thought... um of an and that Andy Warhol painting of like the bright sort of pink flower, you yes. know, and uh, and so I got a pink paint and gold paint and I painted her like really popish, and uh, yeah, you can go online and and see it, I'm sure, but um, it was so much fun and it was so much fun to paint her, where it was this really sort of ugh, sort of laborious thing previously. Get the gloves, white gloves, just right. Get the instead of just like connected to the spirit of what she's about now, which is like freedom, empowerment, you know, like owning it. It was just great. Then it takes the perfectionism out of the painting. That too. And and I think taking the perfectionism out, it's like that line, you know, the Leonard Cohen line about the fault is where the light, how the light gets mm -hmm. in. It's Or the Japanese uh, yes. bowls where they put the gold on the fault line, you yeah. know, it's it's a portal for people to access it more deeply. Yeah. Do you feel like you are holding a torch in some ways for all these women who have come before us? No, but I do feel a certain responsibility to them. Um, and I do still feel a lot of, <laughs> I get a little teary. I feel a lot of gratitude for what they've done, including inspire me. So that's, that's like a real gift. And, and allowing you to be the vehicle through which their stories are told. And for that, I thank my parents. For me, the bottom line, if I feel like I'm kind of losing, like you say, you go down different lanes. But for me, it always comes down to when a girl closes her eyes to imagine a pioneer or an inventor or a scientist, I want her to see a female face. That's it. So the Portrait Project runs from March 8th, which is the International Women's Day, to October 11th, which is the International Day of the Girl. So I've structured it now as a five-year project. It launched with Poppy Northcott on March the 8th. And I'll be looking for people who want to have great women painted and, and hang them in a professional space. So uh, feel free to contact me if you'd like to commission one. And then you name a youth organization that you want to learn about great women. And then I reach out to them and give them a, send them an iMovie about fascinating women. And then come October 11th, everybody who's commissioned a portrait hangs that portrait and we capture that act, that collective act of hanging the portrait, showing the woman's story. Well, I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Because I think it's, it's, it's such important work and I'm glad you're educating me. And I'm sure that, as you say, so many women particularly feel that sense of wow, how did I not know this? Mm. And I just think what you're doing is really important to the world. So keep Thanks, on Nancy. keeping on. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. You too. Keep that paintbrush wet. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.